Thanks, Steve. I know some of you have heard my testimony before, and um, I'll give the condensed version of it today. Um, very grateful of the, for the grace of our Lord and his uh, steadfast love to us. Um, I used to, um, used to live in California with my family, and I uh, attended a church out there, and that's uh, at the point in my life where I truly became a follower, a believer in Christ. Um, I was raised uh, in a Christian home, and around the word, we went to church every time the doors were open. Uh, my mom was a faithful follower of Christ. Uh, my dad was often gone, traveling salesman, uh, but also gone spiritually from our home. Didn't have a, a role, an impact in that in our lives. Um, I got out of the uh, house at 18 to join the service, having made a profession of faith in Christ as a, about a 10-year-old, and then as a teenager battling in uncertainties and looking at that again, and, and got into the service and I guess by their standards, probably a, a mild uh, uh, serviceman, stayed out of trouble, whatnot. Um, but I ended up in, in Southern California and ended up in a, in a going to a church down there, not, not faithfully. And I remember, came to a point in my life where um, I met Adriana and I started realizing that if I'm going to be looking for a wife and be married, I need to be more faithful in that sense, so I, um, or it's right before that actually that I, I met her, that I actually started to attend the church a little more regularly, and then met my wife, and then we, uh, we, were, we had a very short, uh, short engagement and were married, but all the time professing to know the Lord, all the time looking to be active uh, in his church, and uh, ever since a uh, young man, just always figuring there's, you should be at church doing something. And I was involved and active in things. But when I was in the church and as a Sunday school teacher, um, being faithful, looked upon by the body of the church to be taking on other roles, I was a deacon in the church. There's a verse in the song that we sang, Just as I am, uh, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within without. Those, those conflicts, those doubts, they're always prevalent. That, could just, that would probably underlying describe my life a lot. Just doubts, uh, different things that would come, things that would happen to where I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really certain about my eternal destiny. And I wasn't sure about whether I truly was saved, was in Christ. And so doing all these things and so involved in church, you think, of course you are. But no, I, I had those doubts constantly. I had things that, I, the sin problems that would come. I had other things. And so I remember struggling with that quite a bit, and the pastor of the church decided he, it was um, a trip he was taking to Israel, and he uh, needed to fill a couple of Wednesday night uh, Bible study times, and there was a fairly new Christian who had a great zeal for the Lord and a desire to be involved in doing something. Remember, he took one of those, and the pastor asked me to take one, and I just happened to be talking to my brother not, not long after that, and he... Uh, I said, you know, you got any ideas for a Bible study? I was just kind of throwing it out at him. And so God used my brothers in a significant way in bringing me to him because he said, what about 1 John? There's a verse in 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What's that verse mean to you? Well, you can know you have eternal life. I had used that verse times before in, in talking with people about Christ, that they can have a certainty and they can know that they have eternal life in him. And so Mark asked me, well, what else does it mean to you? And uh, up until that time, I had never seen the first part of that verse in its significance. The first part of that verse is, I write these things to you. It's, it's one of the things in the book of John when the teens well, were going over that uh, just uh, this last year, John 20, 31, I write these things what things, these miracles, these things God had done. I'd never really paid a lot of attention to that. And so my brother asked me, so what things? What, what things did he write? What things did you gain or can you get from First John that you can know that you have eternal life? And so I said, well, that sounds like a good idea for a Bible study. Yeah, sure. So I started to read over First John, and I started to look at that. And I started to go through it, and the Holy Spirit used First John significantly because as I went through it, it became quite evident to me, uh, in a sense, making a, an inventory list out of it, a checklist, so to speak, 
of things that it talks about in there. Um, I made a couple of notes here. In chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, it talks about keeping his commandments. Those that are his will keep his commandments. And in 2, verse 10, there's a, a love for your brother. And also, again, in chapter 3, verse 14, the same thing. Um, in chapter 4, verse 15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. So it began to be very clear. A lot of things that are, uh, things that are written in here that show that you have eternal life. If you do these things and know these things and follow these things, there's going to be that, that evidence, that proof, in a sense, that you are in Christ. Other things came evident out of it. What are we ask and receive? We keep, and again, we keep his commandments. Uh, again, in chapter 4, we have love one we love one another, and we abide in love in chapter 4. And in chapter 5, he gives us ability to overcome, overcome the world. And I began to look at these things and realize in my life in significant ways there wasn't a lot of overcoming going on. There was a significant doubt and fears that would come up, a, a sin that would be prevalent in my life. I had a, um, another young man in the church, another deacon that I was having issues with and difficulty. There was not a love for the brethren evident in that. And as I began to kind of make this list out and to look over these things and do a lot of preparation to teach on them, the Lord began to work really significantly in my heart and reveal to me clearly that I was lacking, that these things did not, they were not in my life because I was not in Christ. So, and it came to the point where on a Thursday morning, this was in the early 90s, uh, and on a Thursday morning, in the shower of all places, the, over, the just overwhelmingness of this kind of hit me hard. I didn't know to do anything else other than to cry out to the Lord, just to say, Lord, these, I, you know, you're revealing your truth to me and to my heart that I don't have a love for brethren. I don't have that ability to overcome, and, and, and I'm not walking your ways and obeying your commands, and it's evident in my life there's a reason for that because I'm not in Christ. And I just pleaded and cried out to the Lord, as, as I knew how to do and, and prayed to him. And God did a work in my heart then at that point in time. He did a change in my life. Um, I remember talking with the young man I had the issue and problem with and, and resolving that in my life. I know God gave me a desire for music and for singing uh, right after that. But it was, I was thankful for a lot of things. In the book of 1 John, as it, we go through it and we talk it, look it over together, I, I was just so thankful that God is full, full of grace and that he gives us things in his word that, one, we can have that confidence once we're in Christ and know him that it's eternal, but also, wait a minute, what are the, what are, he spells it out so clearly in his word to us. And I'm thankful for the book of First John and, and how God used that in my own life too. So. Well, that's my hope and desire. Maybe there are people here who are involved in church. And you know the Krauses, you know, they're as involved in church as anybody. And you could be as involved as that. I'm not sure that's, that's possible. But you, you could be really involved and um, lost. And First John will direct us to that. So I invite you to open your Bibles to First John. We're looking today at... Uh, Verses 5 through 10 is our text. Pew Bibles, page 1021. I want to read them, just pray for the Spirit to work, and, and then we'll just dig into them. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we dig into these precious words, words I've been meditating on for uh, several months now, just thinking about how pure you are, 
and how we can deceive ourselves and deceive others. God, I pray that we would know the the fellowship you bring and the, the cleansing that you bring through confession of our sins. Father, I would pray this morning even that the purpose of 1 John might, might come true. That there might be people here today who are, who are doubting. God, who don't have assurance that they are believers. That 5.13 would come true to them that they would know that they have eternal life. And Father, the corollary purpose to that is, Father, as well, I pray for those who are without Christ here today. God, perhaps professing, perhaps saying and claiming, but yet far from Jesus. Lord, I would pray that the truth of 513 would come, that they may know that they don't have eternal life. God, that you would lead them to life. So God, we need your, your grace at this moment to work Spirit of God in our hearts, we open your word. I'm trusting you, Spirit, to come and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my message this morning is entitled, Walk the Talk. Because, quite frankly, there are many in the world who fail to walk the talk. What do you call someone who fails to walk the talk? Help me. Hypocrite. Do you realize that hypocrisy is arguably... One of the worst sins in all the Bible. See, it's one thing to sin. It's one thing to sin knowing you're sinning. But it's another thing entirely to sin while professing at the same time that you're righteous. And telling others that you're righteous while sinning and and hiding it from others. See, God hates that sort of behavior. And and this is what hypocrisy is. It's putting on a show of righteousness in public. When in private, there's no righteousness but sin. Hypocrisy is is claiming to be righteous while fully engaged in sin, just hidden from people, right? I want to let people know how righteous I am, but I'm not going to let them see how sinful I am. And, And you might hide this from people, but you cannot hide it from God. At least forever. You might have it, there's life. Maybe, maybe you'll go through this life and no one will know. But God knows, and God knows right now. Hypocrisy has led countless children away from their faith. As they see and watch their parents be all righteous and holy on Sunday mornings. And yet live the rest of the week far from God. They come to believe that that's what religion is. You just, you, you put forth and you show it on Sundays but yet through the week, it makes no difference. And they come to realize it's a sham. And they, they fall away. They don't follow that. No one's going to follow anything that's not real. They see it and realize it. Hypocrisy has led many in the world to ridicule the faith. Some circumstance in some pastor's life or some circumstance in some religious leader's life contradicts everything that they have been teaching in the public eye. And then then people see that and and, and these people who profess to believe in God and say all these things are living something entirely different. They're called charlatans. And the world looks at that and says, oh, religion is only intended to feed the coffers of the leaders. It's a way to get rich. It's a way to have an easy life. Hypocrisy led children astray. It's led the world astray. Hypocrisy has also led many people into the pits of hell. Jesus denounced more strongly the sin of hypocrisy than any other sin. I mean, he had great compassion on those entrapped in sin and those who knew they were in sin. He came as a, as a ray of hope. As Matthew four seventeen or 18 says, he was a light shining in the darkness. He was the hope. He was the light. But Jesus had no compassion for those entrapped in sin who claimed to be righteous. Listen to what he said to the Pharisees, who were the chief hypocrites, by the way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean also. It's not just about the outside Pharisees, it's the inside. It's, It's being genuine and true through and through. 
Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus said clearly, these people will not enter the kingdom. He said, Matthew twenty three thirteen, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter in yourselves nor allow those who would go to enter in either. Jesus said, such people on a road to hell. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's why I said hypocrisy is one of the worst sins. It it leads people astray and people are led astray by their own hypocrisy. In our text today, John is going to address the issue of hypocrisy. I'm uh, going to address those who profess to know God and walk in his ways, but don't walk in his ways. John called uh, such people liars, verse 6. He called them self-deceived, verse 8. And he said, even they make God to be a liar. But God is not a liar. His words are true. His actions are true. And that's the point of verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is my first point, purity. That's what it talks about. When God is light, it talks about purity. That's what God is. He's light. And in Him, it says there's no darkness at all. And, and I do believe these words have a primary reference to sinlessness of God. And, and particularly, even you see the contrast in verses 6 through 10 speak about the sinfulness of man and the need for confession. But Verse 5 speaks about what God is like. God is sinless. He is pure. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God dwells in unapproachable light. The idea of God is such an overwhelming purity that when we see Him, we see light and we cannot even approach. He is like the sun. We feel its effects. We can see its, its light, but we cannot stare deep into it because God is so pure and so holy and we are sinful. God is a pure God. He is a, a holy God. At least that's, that's the word I used to summarize verse 5. Though there are other words that could have been used as well. Like I, I could have used um, words like genuine or authentic or true. Because that's, that's the idea here. Of the, that God is light in Him is no darkness at all. That He's just genuine. He is, he is true. He's authentic. What, what you see is who He is. There's no chink in his armor. There's no blemish in his ways. He's above reproach. He doesn't say one thing and do another. Because, see, God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. He doesn't put forth light and live in darkness. He puts forth light, light and there's no darkness in him. All his ways are pure. All his ways are right. His ways are authentic and true. And notice how emphatic John is here in verse 5. That God is light and there is no darkness at all. Just this contrast that you'll see in First John. He's often talking about, right, you either love your brother or you hate your brother. You either keep his commandments or you don't keep his commandments. Just opposites. He said, God is light, no darkness at all. There's no private life with God. No scandal waiting to be found. He is who he says he is. And that's the message, by the way, as it says in verse 5, that, that John heard and proclaimed. And there's nowhere you can look in the Gospels. There's nowhere exactly that he has this. This message here, I mean, Jesus says he's the light of the world. We'll look at that in a little bit. But, but there's nowhere where it's explicitly mentioned in the Gospels. But John, remember, walked with Jesus a lot. And there's many things that John saw and experienced that he didn't write down. But this is something he heard from God. Now, also know that the scope of this, this uh, message is he's writing to professing believers, right? This isn't the gospel message here that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But it is the message that we need to hear. Professing believers in Christ is who First John is written to. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And for us who believe, this is a message we need to hear, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, that we serve a pure, righteous, holy God. And there are implications for our lives, especially for those who profess to follow God. As followers of Christ, He calls us to express His nature. He calls us to express His light. Look, look at verse 7. We'll get to this in a little bit, but I want to show you the connection between verse 5 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, God is light, and we as his followers are to walk in that light. In other words, God is pure and genuine and authentic and true and full of integrity, and so ought his followers to be. That's, that's the point of verse 5. That's why I said purity, but, but it also, as verses 6 through 10 are going to talk about genuineness, unlike hypocrisy. We just need to be authentic and true and real but pure and righteous and holy and, and all these sorts of things. In fact, look, one of the purposes of why John writes the letter, there are like, like three or four of these purposes throughout First John, is found in chapter 2, verse 1. Look, look what he says. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. See, he, he's writing that we might live pure lives and righteous lives. And we'll, we'll talk about that next week as we look at verses 1 and 2. But as followers of Christ... We are, are called to see the righteous path and to walk in the righteous path and not in sinful ways. Now, in our passage in 6 through 10, John's basically going to expose those who are in the light and those who are in the darkness. See, first of all, we see the hypocrites. That's my second point. We've seen purity. Second point, hypocrites. Verses 6, 8, and 10. John just kind of bounces back and forth. First, he talks about the hypocrite. Then he gives some hope. Then he talks about the hypocrite, verse 8. And then he gives some hope. And then in verse 10, he speaks about hypocrites again. Now, verses 6, 8, and 10 are saying almost exactly the same thing. Almost the same words, but a little bit different nuances. I mean, look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Or verse 8. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Notice how all these sentences begin with a short little letter. What's the letter they begin with? What's the word they begin with? The word if. If. It's positing. And also, look at, look at how they all start. They say, if we, what? If we, tell me now, if we say... They all start the same way. If we say, if we say, if we say. And they all profess a a righteous life. The first one, verse 6, if we have fellowship with him. That's like like communing with God. Or or verse 8 speaks about if we have no sin. That's talking about a righteous life. Verse 10, if we have not sinned. And they all contain a word of deception. Verse 6 speaks about lying. If we don't walk in the light, though professing to be in the light. Verse 8 speaks about how the truth is not in us. There's a word of deception. It's just like the opposite. Well, if we're, we're, the truth isn't in us, then we are deceiving. Or, verse 10, we make God a liar. We say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Because God has said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if we say we have not, then we make him a liar. A liar. In other words, what John here is doing is exposing the hypocrisy of many who say one thing but live another. And he's just exposing it. He says, You're a lie. You're a sham. He says, You're not true. Because when they say one thing and they live another way, it shows that they are hypocrites. Now, the natural question at this point is really to ask you Are you a, are you a hypocrite? Do any of these things describe you? Do you claim to have fellowship with God, but in reality walk in darkness? Or do you claim a sin-free life? Or do you claim a a sin-free soul? These indicate you're not a follower of Jesus. Now, few today would say that they're sinless, like verse 8 says, if we have no sin. Few today would say they're sinless. And few today would claim that they haven't ever sinned, like verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned. Now, there are some who say that, but those who do are are really ignorant of human nature. They're ignorant of the character of God and can hardly be representative of a follower of Jesus. And they most certainly probably do not say that they follow Jesus. You might find some, uh, some... Hindu people who, who don't believe in sin in general, so they're not sinning. Maybe find some Christian science people who don't sin. Maybe find some other people. So they're, not, they're not sinning, okay? Um, but there are very few who are professing Christians who would, would profess this. 
And remember, John is written to Christians. It is writing to this. It's written to those who profess to believe in Christ. And, and, and most followers of Christ may make no claim of sinlessness. Though amazingly, there are some in the Wesleyan tradition who would believe in entire sanctification. That you can reach this place where you sin no more. Uh, if you ever meet anyone like that, um, first of all, you just need to be around them. It'll probably remove all doubt. Okay, have a friend whose father-in-law makes such a claim, and he's like, "Really? Is that well?" And <clears throat> pretty soon you push him a little bit, and he said, "Well, I've not willingly sinned for years." Well, that's making excuse, right? So you can just all you got to do is be around him for a while. You'll find that out, or just go to this passage is enough to refute the error. You, if you say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. If we say we have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. We're deceiving ourselves. We don't think that we have sinned. So really, verses 8 and, nine, eight and 10 are, are not the battle of our day. They were more the battle of John's day. Okay, they're, not, they're not the battle of our day. battle of John's day with Gnosticism coming in, seeking this spiritual high, high ground. But listen, as few as there are who claim to be sinless, there are that many who claim to have fellowship with God and don't walk in darkness. That's why verse 6 is really what is appropriate to our day. How many are there who say, I have fellowship with God, and yet really walk in darkness? I have met over the years many, 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 many people who I would slot right here in verse 6. Who say, yes, I'm a believer. I, I know God. I love God. And yet their life is, is far from God. They are, are actually walker. They walk in darkness. They aren't involved in any church. They, they rarely read their Bible. God plays little part in their lives. There's no fellowship that they know of. They're involved in blatant sin. But they know. They say, I'm, I'm a Christian. And, and they know enough to quote Matthew 7 to you. Oh, judge not, lest you be judged. Right? Because they don't want that judgment to come upon themselves. And, and I would say, America, we are filled with people like this. I mean, how else do you explain the immorality in our land on the one hand and the number of people who profess Christ on the other? Now, I, I didn't look up any, any surveys or, or whatever. But just, just think, as you lay across our land, how many people in America say they're Christians? Well, we, we might be below half, okay? We might, I, don't know, I don't know how many. We might be above half. I don't know. But, but there are a lot of people. It's not like we're in, in, uh, in Nepal where there would be very few people. There would be lots of people who would say they're Christians. Yes, I'm a Christian. Um, Barna, right? Uh, yes, I'm a born-again Christian. You know, lots of people say that, especially down south. But up here as well, they, they would say that. They would claim to be a follower of Christ. And yet, in our land, why does immorality rule so much? It's because the half that profess Christ are not all Christians. There's only a, a subset of that. I would say many, many, many who profess that aren't that. And if you want further proof, just look at the immoralities in the entertainment industry. Why, why is it that... Uh, the, the internet is filled with filth. It's because people are looking at that stuff. Why is it that movies are, are so bad? It's because people go and watch that stuff. If all the professing believers would walk in the light and refuse that, the, the, um, the finances would cut down drastically and things would change. But I believe the problem um, isn't so much that... Uh, uh, you say the, the problem is that professing believers aren't walking in the light. But rather, there's much darkness there. Now, I love how John counters this objection that says, oh, judge not lest you be judged, because John in this passage isn't saying, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. He, he's bringing himself into it. First person. I mean, notice how many times it says, we, us, or are. I counted here in the ESV. I counted 12 times he talks about we. Another seven times he speaks about us or are. Listen afresh to these words, how, how John, in humility, I do believe, brings himself into the topic. Because even he says, if, if I'm professing to know God, but I'm walking in darkness, 
I'm lying and I'm not practicing the truth. See, see, John isn't above this. John isn't the apostle who stands far off here and says, oh, that's how you need to act. It's a little bit like Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. He says that even if someone else comes or an angel from heaven or we ourselves come and preach a gospel contrary to the gospel which you receive, let him be anathema. Paul says, if I preach another Christ, let me be condemned. And so likewise, John here says, if I'm walking in a hypocritical way, I'm a liar and I'm a deceiver. And so he's got a wonderful way of not pointing the finger at other people. Jesus did that because Jesus knew the heart. John didn't know the heart. So John included himself and spoke about we. So listen to this passage again. Notice the we's. In fact, if you have an ESV, say we and us and our when we come across it. Here we go together. This is the message we have heard from the beginning and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's just saying, listen, this, this includes me. This includes all of us. That this is true of, of all of us. He's not pointing his finger at you. He's bringing himself here. And catch what he's doing. He's trusting the spirit of God to convict the heart where the heart needs to be convicted. And I know the spirit of God is here among us today. And I know that, that Jesus left and he sent the spirit. And it says in John 16 verse 8. The spirit will come and convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. And I know the spirit of God would do a far better job than I can ever do of pointing out hypocrisy in people because I find that even as a pastor, people can hide their hypocrisy pretty well. I've seen it. See one thing on Sunday mornings, and then when you dig behind the scenes a little bit, you get to know, maybe from some other people, like, oh, I didn't know that that, I didn't know they are doing that. I didn't know that. It's like, well, hiding it from me. But you can't hide it from the Spirit. And so what I'd like to do is just spend some time right now, right in the middle of my message, to let the Spirit confront us, convict us, encourage us perhaps on these things. So why don't you bow your head? Just deal with God for a moment or two. And listen, reflect again on, on verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you make the claim of having fellowship with Him? Do you make the claim of abiding in Him? Do you make the claim of being one with Him? That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to abide in Jesus, to have fellowship with Jesus, to share your life with Jesus be born again in, in Jesus, to be in Christ. And yet, are you walking in darkness? How's your life characterized? Is it characterized by sin? Or is it characterized by righteousness? Is your life daily communion with God? Or is God far from your mind? Do you know little of rejoice always? Do you know little of praying always? Or do you know much of that? Is God walking with you in this life? Or are you going it alone? In other words, are you, are you a hypocrite? I just trust the Spirit of God right now to, to show and expose your heart. And know that you can be encouraged right now too. To say, yes, God, I know 
I know I've sinned, certainly. and I'm not without sin, but I know this fellowship and I am growing in that. And I can say I'm walking in the light. Then be encouraged by 5.13 and know that you have eternal life. But if not, may the Spirit of God drive you to repentance. Spirit, I just pray now that you come and and convict hearts and tear them open like the the Word of God has promised to do. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is your Word, God. And I pray your Word would cut where it needs to cut. And guide us that we might not be self-deceived. May we not deceive ourselves. God, may, may the truth be in us. God, whether we have the fellowship and we know whether we're walking in light or darkness. So shine those things on us, we pray, oh God. Amen. You can look up. And... And I'm not sure what God was doing in your heart those moments, but the, the, the truth is that for any believer in Christ, there is some struggle in our hearts with hypocrisy. There must be. The only, the only person who doesn't is, is the person maybe who's like Jesus who's living perfectly. Or the, the person who's totally honest and way out there with all of his sin, because that's how you get over hypocrisy. But anyone who professes to know Jesus, professes to have a changed life, and yet falls in sin in, in some way or another, struggling, to, 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 struggling with sin and living below what you ought or below what you want, you'll sympathize with Paul, who said in Romans 7, I, I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. He says, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not wish want is what I keep on doing. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And every believer should resonate with Paul's desire when we, when we fall in sin and we struggle with sin. We're seeking righteousness. Every believer will like to sing more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee, like Elizabeth Prentice wrote so long ago. This, hear now the prayer I make on bed and knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. More love to thee. When you see, that's the response of a believer. The sponsor of a hypocrite will just kind of shove it under, will cover it over. The, the believer will say, yes, God, I want more of you and I'm not where I am. In fact, do you realize that the remedy for hypocrisy is confession? Because hypocrisy is saying one thing, acting another way. Confession says, say one thing of how I want to live, living like I don't, and then confessing I am a sinful man and I'm, I'm throwing myself on Christ. That's what I, I need and I hope. I mean, the definition of a, hypoc- of a hypocrite is he claims but won't confess. But those who confess are those who walk out of their hypocrisy. And, and in fact, that's what we're going to see in, in verse 9. But right now, let, let's, let's turn to my third point. We've seen purity, whatever, righteousness, integrity, holiness, um, genuineness in God. And when we've seen hypocrisy, verses 6, 8, and 10. And now we're going to pick up 7 and 9. And this is where there's hope. Okay, this is where the gospel light comes shining through where we see hope. I want to read verse 7 and 9 for you. But if we walk in the light, and, and maybe that time of silence there where you're thinking with the Spirit of God, maybe you are assured, yes, I'm walking in the light. If you walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 7 is just speaking about a, a Godward life. It's talking about walking in the light. And, and again, I think walking in the light represents everything that verse 5 speaks about, about walking in purity and walking in integrity 
and walking in righteousness and walking us in the way that God would have us to walk. As Phil read in John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're following walking in there, you're going you're gonna to walk, as Jesus said, following him. So you say, okay, what does it mean to walk in light? Well, it simply means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to obey his commands. It means to go where he goes. Okay, There's, all of a sudden, if that means to walk in light is to follow his ways. Then you just think, okay, am I, am I obeying his command? But it even gets even bigger than that because Psalm 119, 105, right? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So you want to you wanna walk in a, the light, then you walk according to the truth of God's word, which is there's lots, lots, of, lots of data, lots of information. So you want to say, what does it mean to walk in the light? It means to walk in all those ways. As we saw last week, it means to, to obey, it means to love, it means to believe. All these things, what it means to, to walk in the light as, as God did so. And one of the things it emphasizes here, though, is the, the horizontal effect of walking in the light. It's not, it's not just me and God, I'm walking in the light. It's not some, whatever, holy man who's now, I'm just communing with God. Or, no, there's fellowship with one another. Isn't that what verse 7 says? If we walk in the light as he is in the light... We'll have this horizontal fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us from all sin. And so walking with God has this horizontal effect. Christianity is a, is a community religion. It's not just an individual religion where you're off kind of doing your own thing. There's a, a community aspect to it. You're having fellowship with others. You're, you're sharing your life with others. And particularly probably having fellowship with other believers is what's being talked about there because there's something where Christians can get together and can have fellowship in such a way that a Christian and a non-Christian can't. Now, like the Good Samaritan, you need to love your neighbor, right? You need to love the um, uh, the, the non-Christian. But yet, even as, as Jude warns, he uses this, this this graphic illustration about just just pulling people away. And uh, he says in, in Jude 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of God and eternal life. Have mercy on some who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So in other words, I, I think that's, that's talking just about um, showing mercy to those in the world, showing kindness to them, but hating even their garments which are stained by their sin. So there's, a, there's like this, this standoffishness that certainly we need to love others, but there's this, this hatred, right, that, that you have at people who deface your God, and yet there's a, a love you ought to have. But both Christians, it's different. There's, there's a total embrace that can happen, and I think that's what's being talked about here. You're going to have fellowship with one another. You're, sorry, you're sharing your life. You're encouraging one another. You're praying one, with one another. You're loving one another. That's a sign of life. And that happens within a Christian family, loving, serving, praying with each other, worshiping together. That happens within a church. That happens with other people from different churches when you get together for other things, that the broader Christian community. But it's a sign of walking in the light. How many people are there who profess to follow God and yet have no Christian community that they seek or want? Right? They're lone Christians trying to do it on their own. Right, but see, when you walk in the light, there will be a sharing and fellowship that you have with other believers. And other believers then will kind of test and check that. So you walk in the light. Are you having this fellowship with others? Because when you do, you'll know this cleansing that we need. It's what the first seven says, right? The blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. I mean, if we confess, verse 8 and 10 says we have sin, we, we need this cleansing. We need to be cleansed and purified because we're all sinners and our sin has caused a separation between us and God. And if ever we'd be in God's presence, we must be cleansed. You remember Isaiah, when he entered in God's presence, he saw just this holy, magnificent, awesome view of God. Right? His voice shaking the, the temple, his, his robe filling the temple. 
And here the most righteous person in the land says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king. I've seen this light and I'm a sinful man. And he needed cleansing. And we too need cleansing. I remember last week was with some people here at church, right, working on the flower beds, making it pretty again. And maybe when you walk in, I include a picture there on the weekly word, these wood chips. Um, which I asked Andy about them, the color of them and stuff. And apparently they put some kind of red stain on them. And one of the things I was doing was taking these wood chips and kind of putting them in there in the, in the flower bed. And not before long, what, what was on my hands? <laughs> my hands were red. So what I need to do with the stain on my hands? I just went to the sink and it washed right off. You know, it's not like this, this red stain. That's not, it's not made of Sharpie, this red stuff is, Okay. But I just went, just needed a good washing. And I, I went to the sink and I just kind of washed it off and I'm good to go. But listen, we need cleansing. It's the language here used in, in verse 7. It cleanses us from all sin. When, when you think of sin on your soul, you should think about dirt on your body. That's how David thought about it in Psalm 51, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He saw himself dirty with iniquity. He saw himself... Dirty with sin, and he needed the divine soap to cleanse him. He pictures himself taking a spiritual bath, washing away his sin, just like I washed the dye off my hands. And the promise of God is that we can be cleansed. Isaiah 1, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become white like wool. And maybe, I think this is very true, the greatest battle to being cleansed by your sin is realizing your need for cleansing. I know the problem with many children, maybe it's just our children, I suspect it's many children, they don't think they need a bath. No, I, I bathed last Tuesday a week ago, I'm okay. No, you need a bath, right? Mom, Dad, you need a bath. Go take your shower. You get complaints. I don't know. Kids are like cats sometimes. They don't want to get wet. They don't want to clean themselves. How many adults are the same way? I'm pretty good. I haven't sinned for a week or whatever. I, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? After all, what do you say? I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal a car. Right? I, I'm not committing adultery. You know, their problem is that they're comparing themselves with good people. And, and when you have employees of the junkyard comparing them, their dirt to other employees in the junkyard, it doesn't, doesn't quite work. You need to compare yourself with the guy who works in the clean room. He's got his gown on. Because when you compare yourself to the worst, you're not so bad. But compared to God, you're quite bad. And we need cleansing. So the standard for sin is, is not the worst of humanity. The, the standard for sin is God himself. And that's what verse 5 is talking about, right? Moral purity. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Compared to God, we are are sinners by nature and by choice. Verse 8 speaks about how we're sinners by nature. And verse 10 speaks about how we're sinners by choice. And we need cleansing. And so where does the cleansing come? Verse 9. Perhaps one of the most best-known verses in all of 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, here's here's the good news, okay? Is that God doesn't say, you're dirty, go clean yourself up and then come into my presence. We don't have to to go and get cleansed by ourselves. No, he offers an opportunity in Jesus to be cleansed. And, And that cleansing is available. Last week, we had some carpet cleaners come and clean the carpet in the family room, which is getting getting kind of messy and we're just going to start in these bathrooms soon and, and we'll hit that floor at some point here. And we had these guys come in, the guys who, who washed the floor, washed the carpets. The, the, um, uh, the, the truck said amazing carpet cleaners. Okay, thought just what a great name for that, amazing carpet cleaners, right? Amazing grace, just, just was right there. And I'm not advertising for them, but I guess I did. But I'm just saying that that's what the name of the, these guys was. And uh, as I washed them, 
They had this big tube out to the, the truck, and he's, he's washing it, and, I, and, and it's shooting down into the water, something better than anything we could buy or rent at Lowe's or anything, and he's cleaning it up. And I, I, I commented, I just kind of said, wow, that's a, that's a pretty fancy deal you got there. He says, yeah, it's $28,000 fancy. And so as he's kind of cleaning it up, he liked his, he liked his thing in his, uh, in his truck, and as he got all done, I talked with him. And, um, so I was cleaning you got this other guy, he's got like a jet pack on him, you know, kind of like uh, you do with Roundup when you're going to get, get your, uh, your plants. He's got this thing and he's squirting all the stains that were in the carpet from all the coffee and all the food that you guys like, like drop and, and then go like, like this. <laughs> and so so he, he's spraying that stuff, you know, and he got, he got everything out except, except the coffee stains. And uh, he said this, he says, you know how coffee stains your teeth, right? And uh, I said, right, I mean, I don't know that, but it stains your teeth. He says, yeah, the same way with carpet, right? The heat of the coffee just burns right into that carpet, kind of the, the kind of carpet. He did suggest some other kind of carpet that won't, will be, won't be susceptible to that. But he says, you can't get that stain out. It's just there. You're not going to get it out. I'm like, okay. And I thought about this passage. And uh, I thought about how God can remove the coffee stains in our lives. There's not a stain that he can't take out of our lives if we would simply confess it. And notice the promise of verse 9. If we confess our sins, there's the if. And, and uh, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Here it is, all unrighteousness, all of our sin. It's all been cleansed. See, God, when God cleanses sin, he, he cleans it all. Amazing carpet cleaner couldn't wash away all of our sins, but God's amazing grace can wash away all of our sins. Listen, I, I, I call it grace because it's not something we do. It's not we who wash away our coffee stains. Rather, it's, it's God who washes it for us. See, God is the one who will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's the one who acts. He's the one that takes the soap. He's the one that cleans it. And how does he clean it? Through the blood of Jesus, verse 7. Right? And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. There's something in the blood of Jesus that cleanses. Now, of course, that's not physical. That's all metaphorical. But his, his blood is, is the best detergent for sins that there ever is or ever will be. And what do we need to do? Verse 9 is simply we need to confess. The Greek word homo legeo, homo. Same, homogenized milk. Logeo, to say. To confess means to say the homo logeo, to say the same thing. What do we do? We agree with God. We say, yep, that's sin. What I did, God, was that was sin. And that's what we need to do. We just confess our sins to God. Say, what I did was sin. There's no, there's no excuse. We can say our sin is bad, it's wicked, it's, it's rebellion against you. But too often, we make excuses. We're just like Eve. The serpent deceived me. We're just like Adam, uh, the woman you gave me. Right? We're always saying something else is causing us to sin. And too often we blame someone or our environment or how God made us. Listen, the reality is, is that we are sinful and we are filled with sinful desires. And those desires we act upon and we need to take full responsibility for them. There's no excuse. I just think about excuses people make. People claim ignorance. Oh, I... I didn't know that was wrong. Still, you transgress the law. You're still guilty. Or, or you say, motives. Well, I, I didn't mean to do that. Well, that doesn't help. You did it, okay? You did it. Or people say, well, yeah. they claim religion. Well, it's, it's righteous anger. I, I would say 99% of anger is not righteous anger, okay? So you might be the 1%. That's, that's wonderful, but most of it isn't. Or, or maybe people seek to minimize it. Well, it's not so bad. I didn't go all the way. Just, just part of the way. Or maybe they justify it. Everyone else does it. I, I can do it. Maybe they try to neutralize it. But, but, but look, it caused some good later. Or I did some good later even. Look, the, yeah, I did that bad, but I did good. Trying to like, like balance out things. Do you think, let me ask you, do you really think that when you sin and you come up with your brilliant excuse that God is going to say, you're right, 
<laughs> I never thought about it. You didn't, you, did, you didn't mean to do that. You're exactly right. You, you know, I, I, that's silly me. That wasn't a sin that I called this. You think God is going to say that? See, God doesn't play games with our sin. He sees right through into our hearts. And when even we say we didn't mean to do it, you meant to do it at the time you are doing it. It's rebellion. It's wicked. It's heavenly treason. Truth be told, you're far worse than you know. And God sees that. And God just calls us to confess our sin. Listen, if you don't open up about your sin to God, it will eat you up. Psalm 32, when David spoke about his sin, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as with the fever heat of summer. He's talking about bones wasting away. He's talking about groaning all day long. Strength dried up. Has it ever occurred to you perhaps that the main cause for depression is unconfessed sin? People are just engaged and engrossed in their sin rather than confessing it to God. David describes depression because he didn't confess. But listen, but here's the good news. God simply calls us to say, that is sin, it's wrong, and then God forgives it. God forgives our sin. David confessed his sin, and he knew the forgiveness. Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity, though he did for over a year. He said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and God forgave the iniquity of my sin. And as Psalm 32 begins, this is the blessing we know, how blessed is the one to whom transgression is forgiven, and blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit is no deceit. Listen, this joy and, con- and blessing can be yours if you just confess your sin. Let's, let's be done with hiding it. Let's be done with hiding it. Let's just say, this is who we are. We are sinful. Confess sins not, not, just, not just in general, but even specific. Say, that was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Wherever that is. Now, don't think at all, like Martin Luther used to think, that you need to confess all of your sins because you'll be in the confessional for hours like Luther was. But you need to be willing to confess any sin. And you ought to confess sins in specific. Otherwise, I mean, how many people in the public eye, non-Christians, right, fall to some kind of sin? Well, I'm not perfect. <laughs> That's confession of sin, right? But it's, it's not confession of specific sins. One last thing. I just want to tease you a little bit for next week because it says in verse 9 something we would not expect. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you catch the word that it's kind of weird to be there? Let, let me help you out. Let me read again. I'll stop at the word you're expecting, okay? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just is what it says. Is that what you'd expect? Just means God is faithful and he's the judge. That's what that means. But that's kind of strange. Why, why would we say that he's just to forgive us our sins? Wouldn't we expect if we confess our sins, he's faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins? That's what we'd expect, right? It's not what it says. Let's deal with what it says. He's faithful and just. It means that God is going to be completely fair. He's going to be true to his covenant. He's going to be true to what he says he is because that's what verse 5 says. In you, there's, there's no darkness at all. See, when God makes a promise, he's going to fulfill that promise. And what's his promise? His promise is to forgive. And there's one way he's going to be just. Another way he's going to be just is, comes in verse 2, second, next chapter. He is the propitiation for our sins. That propitiation means he has satisfied the wrath of God. Jesus died in our place to satisfy God's wrath for us so that God can be just in condemning Jesus. And just in setting us free because the sin has already been forgiven. You put all those things together and God is just a faithful God. And we'll look at that more next week as we look at, at propitiation. But just know this, that God is faithful. He is just. He will be true to his words. Absolutely, absolutely true. Absolutely real. We, in our prayer meeting today, we looked at um, um, Jeremiah 32. That though Israel was sinful 
and though they walked against God and they, they transgressed their ways and were as bad as any other pagan nation, because God had made his promise to Israel, he would bring them back into land and forgive them and make them flourish. That's the justice of God. That is the righteousness of God because what he said is true. All his ways are just. All his ways are right. If he says it, he's going to bless you. He's going to bring that blessing to you. And that blessing comes to all who confess their sins. So let's pray. Father, help, help these words to dink, sink deep in us. God, may we be not hypocrites. God, may we be true and genuine as you are. God, help us to be good confessors of sin. God, perhaps even in small groups, confessing our sins to one another. In our marriages, for sure. God, may parent, may moms and dads be confessing sins outwardly and openly to each other and in front of their children. Father, just remove that wall of hypocrisy. God, even among us, let's confess our sins. God, so we might remove that wall of hypocrisy. We might know the sweet forgiveness of Jesus in the gospel. God, be with us we continue through 1 John. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.